Every Saturday is Catterday on Echoplex Media, and not only are we posting fucking cats, we invite all content creators to join our open panel. Visit echoplexmedia.com slash panel to learn how to join. Every third Saturday is Operation Catterday, where we cover this week and last year and play the best clips from the cast of conspiracy characters that now space has learned to loathe. The show starts at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. I know how to stand up to a man. I'm defenseless against that kind of female insanity. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do what I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I got everything I need I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree And I can walk down the streets after dark No one wants to rape me And I can get a girl pregnant And just as easily flee like my straight white male dad did to me So if I see a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need I've got a pile of broken mirrors And I'm walking under ladders And I'm spilling cups of salt But to me that doesn't matter Cause my skin and my gender and my orientation Are the best things to have if you live in this nation I recommend it highly So if I see a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Welcome, welcome live listeners, welcome podcast listeners, all, a lot of you, (laughs) podcast listeners, that number's been going up, 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 thank you everybody, this is the Intellectual Dollar Tree, we've been doing this show for a while, and we do it at 7pm Pacific, Wednesday nights, live, twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia, check out our new swag shop, this will be like the 900th time I've said something similar to that, it's at echoplexmedia.com slash swag, it looks great, and we're adding some new shirts, if anybody has any design ideas, let us know. Anyway, I am Producer David. You can find me damn near anywhere. And I am HK Perrin. You can find me on Twitter at HK Perrin. And you can find me right here every Wednesday. Although sometimes I miss it. I missed it last week. But uh, Well, it was the Galaxy Brain Humidor, so I'm not sure if like you missed out, really. <laughs> we had to take a visit last week. It was bad. It was <clears throat> no different, really, than one would generally expect. <laughs> So this week, yeah, happy to be back. This week we're uh, also doing a bad thing, um, but it should be fun. Could you imagine trying to talk to fucking Jordan Peterson for three hours? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> well, Lex Fridman, the master of the quest statement, 
is going to go ahead and do it. And I'm just going to let it rip. We're going to start it from the beginning and we'll do, you know, an hour, hour 20, something like we usually do. And then just cut it off and be like, <laughs> you've taken them out of context. It's like, well, it was three hours. <laughs> anyway, here goes. We have a star wipe now. Here's Jordan Peterson and Lex Fridman. Dostoevsky wrote in The Idiot, spoken through the character of Prince Mishkin, that beauty will save the world. Solzhenitsyn actually mentioned this in his uh, Nobel Prize mm-hmm. acceptance speech. What do you think uh, Dostoevsky meant by that? Was he right? Well, I guess it's the divine that saves the world, let's say. You can Is he going to cry already? Definition. And what? then you might say, well, are there pointers to that which will save the world or that which eternally saves the world? And the answer to that in all likelihood is yes. And that's maybe truth and love and justice and what the classical virtues, beauty, perhaps in some sense, foremost. None of those things are permanent though. Like what, what does he mean? Definitely a pointer. Uh, That's a good question. Like not only are none of those things permanent, but they don't always save the world. Sometimes, like I'm just thinking of World War II, to the extent yep. that the United States and the Soviet Union saved the world, it wasn't exactly beautiful what had to be done to fucking save the world from the fucking Nazis, right? Yeah. Thing that had to be done was uh, ugly. Resulted in a lot of people dying. It did. Direction. That's okay. None of those were people in Jordan Zero Peterson's family. Out. He doesn't care. No, I think that that which it points to is what beauty points to it transcends beauty it's more than beauty and that speaks to the divine it points to the divine yeah and i would say again by what the fuck is he talking about find the divine in some real sense. oh he's getting worse right so one way of defining the divine is what is divine the divine transcends beauty and you might say well i don't have but what does he mean by that like if something is more beautiful than beautiful then it's divine because you have i that's the thing is like when you say something like that, it doesn't have to fucking mean anything, right? That's kind of the point of saying something like that, I think. Uh, yeah, he's... I think you're right. He has gotten worse. His word salad is... more word salady than normal. <laughs> Maybe he just knows that he has three hours to talk to this guy. And it looks like that there was editing too, right? Just because of the way it kind of jumped in. There's no way they started the conversation right there, you know? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so this is three hours, three minutes, 32 seconds after editing. <laughs> oh, man. I have a bunch of contradictory axioms. And you might say, well, I have no axioms at all. And then I'd say, well, you're just epistemologically ignorant beyond comprehension if you think that. Because that's just not true at all. So you don't think a human being can exist within contradictions? Well, yeah, we have. I have no axioms at all. I am a nihilist. I don't know. Like, I don't even know. I mean, I know what an axiom is, right? Like, I know what that is. But in like what he's saying here, it's an, an axiom isn't like a thing that you have. It might be a thing that you say, a thing that you put out there, a thing that you can. A thing recur- that you accept. Right. Yeah. You, you maybe accept it or you try to live by it, but it's not like a thing that you have. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm being the obnoxious pedant at this point. (laughs) Uh, to be even more pedantic though, uh, I'm not actually a nihilist philosophically. Uh, I guess the best thing I would 
describe myself as is a solipsist in that I only believe that it's possible to know that you exist as the person wondering the question, what exists? Make themselves manifest, say, in confusion with regard to direction, then the consequence of that technically is anxiety and frustration and disappointment and all sorts of other negative emotions. But the cardinal negative emotion signifying multiple pathways forward is anxiety. It's an entropy signal. But you don't think that kind of a, uh, entropy an entropy signal? signal? I'm sorry, what? Kind <laughs> of fucking yo, <laughs> like I'm telling you, man. The more the more this stuff I listen to, the more I realize that most of these people, like the point of what they're saying is to not fucking say anything, so that their weird ass audience can kind of project themselves onto what the their hero figure is saying. Yeah. <laughs> Because if you keep it nice and vague, your audience is going to be like, oh, that's exactly what I believe, too. Even if you didn't fucking say anything. And especially if you keep it nonsensical. Which, to be clear, what Jordan Peterson just said is nonsensical. I think you're just being very unfair to him, and that's why you're my co-host. <laughs> <laughs> to beauty and to love. Why does beauty and love have to be clear, ordered, simple? Well, I would say what? it probably doesn't have to be. It can't be reduced to clarity and simplicity. Because when it's optimally structured, it's a balance between order. What in the absolute fuck order. are they talking about? I think they're talking about there. I think if I'm going to like be a little bit charitable here, I think they're trying to talk about like beauty, but like sort of in a, a detached from a, a way that's detached from any specific thing that is beautiful. If that makes sense, they want to well, talk about, about beauty as an idea, not as a, a set of things that are beautiful. Like if you're like, what is beauty? I mean, I'd just be inclined to give you some examples of things I think are beautiful because it's a lot easier for me than to try to define such a, so it's like a subjective and like oft misused and abused term. A second ago, they were talking about divinity though. Like they're, they don't seem to have a, a topic of conversation that they're actually sticking to. Well, that's because, isn't it just great that they're able to have the conversation HK? <laughs> <laughs> They're going to get to that. We should part. all be happy about that. We're going to get to that part where they talk or no, they're going to get to that part. We're probably not <laughs> right. There's no way we're going to get to the part where they get to the meta conversation. <laughs> That's probably the long section ordered. right in the middle the there. It's too ordered. It's not, it's not acceptable. It sounds like a drum machine. It's too repetitive. It's too predictable. Okay. Now you're coming for me. It sounds like a drum machine. Fuck you. He's <laughs> a purveyor of fucking Miami bass and dirty breaks. Fuck you. It it has to have, well, it has to have some fire in it yes. along with the structure. I was in Miami doing a seminar on Exodus with a number of scholars, and this is a beauty discussion. When Moses first encounters the burning bush, it's not a conflagration that demands attention. It's something that catches his attention. Um, it's a phenomena, and that means to shine forth. And Moses has to stop and attend to it, and he does. 
and he sees this fire that doesn't consume the tree. And the tree, the tree is a structure, right? It's a tree-like structure. It's a branching structure. It's a hierarchical structure. Did he just say is it a tree is a tree-like structure? <laughs> he did say that. We gotta go back and make sure, right? <laughs> to shine forth. And Moses has to stop and attend to it, and he does. And he sees this fire that doesn't consume the tree. And the tree, the tree is a structure, right? It's a tree-like structure. It's a branching structure. It's a hierarchical structure. It's a self-similar structure. It's a fractal A tree is a tree-like structure. Well, what is a wheel? Well, it's a wheel-like structure with wheel parts. It doesn't. What is a house, Dave? It does. It does. It does a zoom, zoom like this. And what is a house? It's a house-like structure. Oh. And in my house. In my house, there is only house music. And the fire in it is the transformation that's always occurring within every structure. And the fact that the fire doesn't consume the bush in that representation is a, an indication of the balance of transformation with structure. And that balance is... I think he's reading really far into someone's drug trip. To it, in some sense, is the beauty... Someone's drug trip? The novelty and all that, but... Yeah, like the Bible was basically a drug trip. Like a lot of the Bible. Certainly the burning bush was a drug trip. No, my house was, and will soon be again, completely covered with paintings inside. And it was... Are they painting like structures? Come in there, because... Well, my then again, the burning bush was also within a story that historically there's zero evidence for. So I doubt it even happened at all. But like in the sense that someone ever once experienced like a burning bush like that, it was a drug trip. And I think, well, I would rather live in a museum than anywhere else in some real sense. But beauty is daunting. I can't wait till the day there's the only Jordan Peterson left as a figure in a wax museum. It scares people. They're terrified of buying art, for example, because their taste is on display. And they should be terrified because no. people have terrible taste. Now, that doesn't mean they shouldn't foster it and develop it. But, and, you know, when you put your taste on display, it's a real, really exposes you. Even to yourself as you walk past it. Oh, definitely. Every day. Absolutely. This is who I am. Yeah, well, and, and look how mundane that is. I bought this art because is, this is who I am. It is, and look at how sterile or too. What if you just bought it because you liked it? You're not allowed to do that. And if somebody else doesn't like it, that doesn't mean you have bad taste. It just means you like different art. And like, if I see yeah. a picture, a painting on somebody's wall, it never occurs to me to not like the fucking painting either. You know what I'm saying? You ever go to somebody's house and be like, <laughs> God, their art is just awful. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people don't like this one and this one, but I like them. So sure. they're up here. Sure. But like people don't go to someone's place and just walk around and judge their art. <laughs> I, I am positive that some people do that and probably jordan peterson does that too ordered it is or too chaotic or how quickly you but yes normal people don't do that so many times well if it's a real piece of art that doesn't happen you notice the little details the whole is greater than the sum of the parts i mean there are images religious images in particular so we could call them deep images that people have been unpacking for 4,000 years and still haven't. I'll give you an example. This is a terrible example. So I did a lecture series on Genesis and I got a lot of it unpacked, 
by no means all of it. When God kicks Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he puts cherubim with flaming swords at the gate to stop human beings from re-entering paradise. I thought, what the hell does that mean, cherubim? And why do they have flaming swords? I don't get that. What is that exactly? And then I found out from Matthew Pagel, who wrote a great book on symbolism in Genesis. Oh, that guy's a fucking loon, Matthew Pagel, Pagel. Oh, what a fucking maniac. I, I heard a few clips of him saying that demons are real and shit. Matthew Pagel is a fucking lunatic. I mean, we're we're listening to someone talk about the Bible as if the events in the Bible literally happened. That which is difficult to fit into conceptual systems. They've also got an angelic or demonic aspect. Take your pick. Why do they have flaming swords? Well, a sword is a symbol of judgment and... and Stabbiness. The separation. <laughs> a sword is a weapon. Cut away. And to carve. I, I don't think anyone considers a sword a symbol of judgment. It's that which burns. It's a symbol of power, maybe. and burn? Well, you want to get into paradise? It carves away everything about you that isn't perfect. And so what does that mean? Okay, well, here's part of what it means. This is a terrible thing. So you could say that the entire Christian narrative is embedded in that image. What? Why? Well, let's say that flaming swords are a symbol of death. That seems pretty obvious. Let's say further. Not if you're 100 I feel feet like away a, from a flaming sword is a symbol of the fact that you're not taking proper care of your sword because it shouldn't be on fire. Not only do you have to face death, you have to face death and hell before you can get to paradise. Hellish judgment and all that's embedded in that image. And an, an, a piece of art with an image like that. I disagree. That in it. None of that it is embedded in that image. Also, it's not an image, it's words. So you have to conjure the image yourself, right? Yeah. So like <clears throat> when I when I hear cherubs with flaming swords, I'm going to conjure a much funnier image than Jordan Peterson is, <laughs> right? He's going to conjure like a terrifying image and mine's going to be kind of funny and cartoonish because I think the idea of cherubs with flaming swords uh, uh, guarding the Garden of Eden is actually pretty funny. <laughs> I would agree. And um, essentially, the whole point of that image is... God saying you're not allowed back into here and here I'm going to put some guards out front so you can't get back into here. It's not like oh if you want to get back into here you have to you have to what did he say? You have to like let the sword carve out every part of you that's not perfect or something. I think so but he might that's have something also, ridiculous. He might have also been saying that's how you get into heaven but I don't know because it's it's a, it's a little hard to follow. And it must be because I'm not smart enough to follow this stuff, right? Yeah, he, he's also conflating the Garden of Eden and heaven, which are two distinct places in the book of Genesis. They're not the same thing. Places. Well, heaven yeah. is a place in Genesis, like a physical place. It exists in the clouds. And, and if, you were, if you were from the 80s, you'd know that heaven is a place on earth. <laughs> where love comes first. <laughs> Uh, and, and the garden of Eden is a physical place on the surface of the earth. So 
I went like this, but I shouldn't have. I should have gone like this because Earth is flat in right, the Bible. Right. The Earth. Oh, that's right. It's got corners. Yes. Fundamental sense. It it reaches into the back tendrils of your mind at levels you can't even comprehend, and grips you. I mean, that's why people go to museums and gaze at paintings they don't understand, and that's or because they're on LSD. They'll pay. What's the most expensive objects in the world? If it's not carbon fiber racing yachts, it's definitely classic paintings, right? It's highly. There are things way more expensive than a fuck than any fucking painting. Think about the space station. How the fuck much? How many fucking of the world's most expensive paintings would you have to sell to build a space station? <laughs> or even like a city. A city is far more expensive than a a painting. Now, to be fair, a city is a collection of objects. I guess the space station is also a collection of objects. But if you if you break it down, any object is just a collection of other objects, right? Yeah. We'll we'll say like a build like a tower. Yeah. Oh yeah, like like a skyscraper. Probably more yeah. expensive than the most expensive painting. Yeah. Pretty much, no matter how expensive the most expensive painting is, because the cheapest skyscraper is probably like in the what tens of millions probably you're probably like an order of magnitude Hun off. hundreds of millions hundreds of millions of billions maybe i'd imagine you could have a cheap skyscraper that wasn't that was less than a billion dollars <laughs> like i would i would take an office in your skyscraper but it's basic <laughs> <laughs> how cheap is the cheapest skyscraper <laughs> i'm gonna google that it's like live, laugh, linoleum. What's linoleum doing in your skyscraper? <laughs> Logical implements or it's classic art. Your skyscraper has like stucco on the outside. We build temples to house the images. Even secular people go to museums. I oh yeah. Even secular. What do you mean? Even secular people go to sure. Even secular people go to museums. Why would that be surprising? Right? Like, like somebody who's not religious doesn't want to look at a painting. Or like what a about a museum precludes secular people? <clears throat> if you remember when he talked to Matt Dillahunty, he said that you can't really do art without like belief in God. Do you remember that? And then Matt Dillahunty pointed out to him that he knows like five atheist artists who he thinks that their art is beautiful. <laughs> and then Jordan Peterson said, to him, well, they just think they're atheists like you. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what do you say to someone who who believes that, you know, everyone really is a Christian deep down inside and they're just lying to themselves? <laughs> well, are you in a museum? Yes. Are you looking at art? Yes. Well, what makes you think you're secular then? It's arguable that the thing... But also secular doesn't mean atheist. I think there's religious people who hang out in our chat who are also very secular. Secularism yeah. is is just simply the idea that the like super basic the idea that religion sh shouldn't be imposed as the law right it is, doesn't mean you're an atheist lisa's yeah. in the chat lisa's our resident church lady lisa is a secular person lisa does not want the government imposing or basically any power structure imposing religion on someone else that's what secularism is it doesn't have to so, do with whether or not you believe on um uh the American Heritage Dictionary, it says, not relating to religion or to a religious body, non-religious. 
worldly rather than spiritual. So like what about that? Like why would going to a museum mean that you were that you relate to some religion? Like right, the where religion the hell does is, that come from? Like the museum is very much of this world. I'm really I have I cannot follow this. I'm completely lost. Uh he he jumped from like here's here's premise A. Here's the conclusion. It's like I'm sorry. Your premise and your conclusion are completely unrelated. And like not for nothing, the religion is a worldly thing. It is of the material world. Everything in there is of the material world. Yeah. It is some of the most beautiful things of the material world if you're at a good museum. And who's who's to even decide? <laughs> right? Like who's yeah. to, like who gets to decide that anyway? Well, whoever fucking paid for the museum and that money ain't fucking spiritual. That's money. <laughs> I don't know. You could think money is is spiritual. Sure, but what I'm saying is it's it's of this world. <laughs> everything about the museum and everything in it is of this world. Uh what's his name? Joel Osteen? He thinks money is spiritual. Many, many centuries from now that will remain of all of human civilization will be our art, well, not, not even the words. Well, you know, the, a book has remained a very long time, right? The biblical not writings. Not that long. Uh, no, a few millennia. That's <laughs> or, right. <laughs> but that's in the full arc of living organisms. Yeah. Perhaps will not be. Well, that. we have images that are, we have artistic images that are at least 50,000 years old, right? That have survived. And some of those... Well, are, there you go. The Bible isn't that old. Even Lex fucking... Good job, Lex. <laughs> I still will never hang out with you, but good job. <laughs> He's like, it's actually not that old, dude. <laughs> Poor Jordy Pete got wrecked by the most boring talk show host on the internet. They're already <laughs> profound in their symbolism. The but Venus we do will mean humans? Yeah, we found them. Yeah. And, and, and they've lasted. they've lasted that long. And so, and then think about Europe. Secular people all over the world make pilgrimages to Europe. Well, why? Uh, the French Riviera is beautiful. Pilgrimages. Um, you can go find, you can go to the spot where they fucking storm the Bastille. You can go check out the spot where D-Day happened. Like a lot of what we call, a lot of the culture of white people, a lot of the history of white people happened in Europe. So why the, why, and it's not so, a pilgrimage. If I go to London, to go do a bunch of cocaine and dance is that a pilgrimage <laughs> um yeah like do you have to travel for it to be a pilgrimage or if you're just you know doing recreational activities near your house is that a pilgrimage if i go to the beach is that a pilgrimage i think sure i don't know he did if i go watch a movie is that a pilgrimage According to the lore, he did a pilgrimage to Russia to get put in a coma. Like, what if the movie's a porno? Is that a pilgrimage? Hey, now. Hey, now. <laughs> because of the beauty. Obviously. I mean, <laughs> that's self-evident. And it's partly because there are things in Europe that are so beautiful, they take your breath away, right? They make your hair stand on end. They feel you. There are people, there are things within 50 miles of where I'm sitting that are beautiful, that if they weren't like part of my like culture or whatever, they might take my breath away because I've never seen them. There are things in the Santa Cruz mountains that are, that are beautiful. You don't have to go to Europe. Like there's beautiful things everywhere, except maybe like Antarctica. 
like because but also like going to visit a place to see a beautiful thing isn't a pilgrimage it isn't religious it isn't even spiritual it's just going to see something right when we think sightseeing when we think of a pilgrimage and i'm going to use kind of a shitty one because it's the first one that comes to mind and it's like super basic but like somebody's heritage is um like jewish and they go to jerusalem to see things that are related to their religion i might call that a pilgrimage if somebody is a catholic and they go to the vatican not because they want to see the vatican but because their religion like oh i am a catholic it is part of what i must do to go see the vatican that is a pilgrimage but also they're just they're fucking on vacation just like the other people who are there not for that reason (laughs) like once you get there you're just standing next to somebody else right if you're a scientologist and you go to visit volcanoes that's a pilgrimage and if you go to Clearwater and you're a Scientologist, <laughs> you might never come back. With a sense of awe. And, and we need to see those things. It's not optional. We need to see those things. The cathedrals. I was in a cathedral in Vienna and it was terribly beautiful, you know. Terribly it, beautiful. Well, it was terribly beautiful. Is beauty painful for you? Is, is, is that the highest form of beauty? It really challenges you? Oh, Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I got a good analysis of the statue of David. Michelangelo's statue mm-hmm. says, you could be far more than you are. That's what that <laughs> statue says. And this yeah. cathedral, you know, uh, down, we went statue down. tells me I'm hung. Into the I agree that Jordan Peterson could be far more than he is. Like, he is a essentially a waste of a human being. Well, I mean, we can all be far more than we are, though. That's like, that's like you're not saying anything when you say that, no matter who you are, right? No matter who you are. Yeah, you- but you and I are much closer to the maximum that we could be than Jordan Peterson is. Jordan Peterson is very close to as far from that maximum as you can get. I don't know. I feel like maybe maybe I have more potential than him, and I'm just as far from my potential as he is. I'm just in a better place than him. Uh, what I mean is you're not actively making the world a worse place to be, and he is. That's That's up for discussion. <laughs> we maybe talk about that during the post game. And there they all are. And then that cathedral's on top of it. It's no joke to go visit a place like that. No, it's it. But what if you tell jokes there? The core and our our religious systems have become propositionally dubious. What? But there's no arguing with the architecture, although modern architects like to, with their sterility and their giant middle fingers erected everywhere. But beauty is a, yeah. is a terrible pointer to God. And, you know, a secular person will say, well, I don't believe in God. It's like, have it your way. You, gotta, you cannot move forward into the unforeseen horizon of the future except on faith. No, I am moving forward into the unforeseen horizon of the future right now because in fucking 30 seconds, it'll be the unforeseen reality of the future. <laughs> <laughs> We can all do it. We have no choice but to move into whatever the fuck he's talking about is the with the future, right? We don't have a choice. We all have to move into the future because it's gonna, we're doing it whether we like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could stop yourself from moving into the future, but you shouldn't. Yeah, we don't recommend it. Yeah. And you might say, well, I have no faith. It's like, well, good luck with the future then because 
What are you then, nihilistic and hopeless and anxiety-ridden? What are those, the choices? And if not, well, something's guiding you forward. <laughs> it's faith in something or multiple things, which just makes you a polytheist. Which So I wait, either you're completely hopeless or faith in something is driving you forward. So those are the two options for Jordan Peterson. So if Jordan Peterson were to lose his faith, he believes that he would be absolutely hopeless. <clears throat> also, like, no wonder Jordan Peterson thinks everyone else has faith. Like most people aren't absolutely hopeless. And to Jordan Peterson, if you're not absolutely hopeless, apparently you must have faith. And not for nothing, he's been asked a lot of times whether or not he believes in a God, and he just won't answer the fucking question, so. I mean, he does, but yeah. Well, let me ask you one short-lived biological... Like it's pretty obvious that he does. You one short-lived biological meatbag to another. Who is God, then? Let's try to sneak up to this question. Have you seen my daughter in a bikini? If it's at all possible, <laughs> is it possible to even talk about this? Well, it better be because otherwise there's no communicating about it, right? It has, it has to be <laughs> Thanks, Jordy Pete. brought down to earth. Well, we might be too dumb. Is it possible, is it possible to talk about this? So well, uh, it better be or else it wouldn't be possible to talk about it. Cool. <laughs> right. So, because there's not knowing, and then there's wanting to know or refusing to know. Yeah. And so you might say, well. That's like what Donald Rumsfeld was like. There's known knowns and known unknowns and unknown unknowns. That's what he's doing there. He's also doing the Scientology thing where it's like, well, knowingness, beingness, and it's so, so much <laughs> garbage wrapped into like one statement there. He's like drawing from like a tradition of like unremarkable people and unremarkable ideas god from a description of the objective world right is is god just the ultimate unity of 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 the natural reality what? i would say well in a sense there's some truth in that but but not exactly because god ultimate unity of the natural the reality must emulate in order to thrive how's that for a biological definition spirit is a pattern the spirit that you must emulate in order to thrive. So it's a, it's a kind of, uh, in one sense... What the fuck does that mean? Does that mean spirit. God is gluttony? Probably. I mean, if you were a God, wouldn't you eat a lot of chicken wings? Like, you gotta eat to live, so does that mean God is gluttonous? So it's a, it's like, a kind <laughs> of, uh, in one sense, when we say the human spirit, hmm? it's that. It's an animating principle. Yeah. It's a meta, it's a pattern. And you might say, well, what's the pattern? Like, okay, what well, about an amoeba? If an amoeba is thriving, is does that mean that that's what God does? Does God use his little flagella to swim around his little liquid environment? I mean, if God is everything... consume then, other microbes? If God is everything, then sure, I guess. Does God, does God act like a, a flesh-eating bacteria? Sometimes I wish. Imagine that, like your grip. God certainly grip, acts like a virus. Gripped by admiration. So, and you can just notice this. This isn't propositional. You have to notice it. It's like, oh, turns out I admire that person. Hmm. Maybe that's what so he what means. Does that mean?
Maybe he means that God is a virus, and the closer you are to a virus, the closer to godlike you become. Because, I mean, if you think about like what thrives on this planet, it's viruses. Viruses are everywhere. They infect everything. Like there are viruses that infect other viruses. Well, it means I would like to be like him or her. That's what admiration. Means. No, no, no. Admirate. You don't. You don't have to want to be like somebody to admire them. That's incorrect. You can just <laughs> think that something they're doing or something about them is great. You don't have to strive to be like that to have admiration for someone's work or someone's character. That's just an incorrect definition of admiration. It's too narrow. Nope. It's too, it's, it's crazy actually. Like there are people who are really different than me who I admire, who I don't want to be the way that they're different than me. I just think the way they're different than me is cool. Yeah. So crazy. About <laughs> the way they are that compels imitation. He plays fast and loose with the definition of or inspires very well understood words. Even. Okay, what is that that grips you? Well, I don't know. Well, let's say, okay, fine, but it grips you and you want to be like that. Kids hero worship, for example, and so do adults for that matter, unless they become entirely cynical. <laughs> I worship quite a, quite a few heroes. Yeah, well, well, that's fucking you. disgusting and sad and fucking pathetic. You could admire people, but I think like when adults have heroes, that's when adults start getting into these fucking, adults start going down these kinds of rabbit holes. The IDW anti-vax stuff um like people get into cults because they turn the cult leader into a hero like hero worship is bad for adults yep and like the the maga movement is all about worshiping trump right right um i try not to talk too much about trump on this particular show but yeah that's it's it's just another it's just another hero that people are worshiping and it's like it has bad results for the, not for just for society, but for those individuals, like the people that worship Jordan Peterson, they tend to have bad results as a result of worshiping him. Yep. Yeah. Proudly. Yes. Well, yeah. there you go. And there's no, that worship, that celebration and, and proclivity to imitate is worship. That's what worship means most fundamentally. Now imagine you took the set of all admirable people, and you extracted out AI learning. You extracted out the central features of what constitutes admirable. And then you did that repeatedly. What? Until you Why did he say AI learning? Because Lex is an AI guy and he thinks he's going to talk Lex's language. And Lex is uh, <clears throat> not full of shit on AI. Lex is uh, he's fairly good. He's uh, pretty accomplished in that field. And he's not going to push back on this in any sort of way at all, even though he has to know that what Jordan Peterson is saying is just some kind of platitude shit that has nothing to do with AI or machine learning. That yeah. You can't really feed into a system things that you believe are admirable or whatever, and then have the AI, like, I don't know, become admirable. I don't even know what the fuck he's going to finish saying here. You're just like feeding it in names. And then the thing's like, all right. I've got all the names. Now here's what is ultimately admirable. And it's just some name. Right. Like, wait, maybe I misunderstood AI. <laughs> That's as good as you're going to get in, in terms of a representation of God. 
And you might say, well, I don't believe in that. It's like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. It's not a But what do you mean? I don't have to explain to you when I say I don't believe that. Like, there's no burden of proof on me to explain to you what I mean, but I just said, fucking, I heard the claim and I don't, I don't find it compelling. What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? What do I mean? <laughs> like, I don't think so. Carrie's like no burden of proof. Yeah, I think not. Carrie is a burden of proof. Right. But, but I don't think so. Does not. Positional facts. It's not a scientific theory about the structure of the objective world. And then I could say something about that, too, because I've been thinking about this a lot, especially since talking to Richard Dawkins. It's like, okay. <laughs> Did you see him talking to Richard Dawkins? <laughs> um, that is a conversation I would not want to be it was even aware of it was it was pretty fucking funny actually there were a couple times when richard dawkins said things to him like i think you're just saying words <laughs> <laughs> i mean any conversation where i'm rooting for richard dawkins i don't want to <laughs> so uh, during I the, would watch it on this show. Otherwise, I would not. <laughs> during the post game a little while ago, we watched Travis Pangburn and his weird community watch the uh, Richard Dawkins, Jordan Peterson thing. We watched some of it. And Travis spent a lot of time basically saying that Richard Dawkins doesn't get it whenever he would be like, I don't know what you're talking about to Jordan Peterson. It's and. <laughs> I didn't find myself rooting for Richard Dawkins so much. It was just more like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about is like a pretty defensible position. <laughs> Anybody can say that to anyone else. And one would hope that the person would further clarify. And it, Jordan never did that. He just moved on to the next thing. It was a pretty cringy discussion. Um, Richard Dawkins has definitely gone off the deep end and been in support of like some Christian nationalist shit because of his uh, culture war stuff. But when Jordan Peterson went into this sort of pseudo intellectual kind of gobbledygook, Dawkins was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it was pretty funny. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and then watching Travis Pangburn and his community try to apologize for Jordan Peterson was even better. The postmodernist types going back way before Derrida and Foucault, maybe back to Nietzsche, who I admire greatly, by the way, says, God is dead. It's like, okay, but Nietzsche said, God is dead and we have killed him and we'll not find enough water to wash away all the blood. So that was Nietzsche. He's no fool. He's got away with words. He certainly does. And so then you think, okay, well, we killed the transcendent. Well, what does that mean for science? Well, it frees it up because all that nonsense about a deity is just the idiot superstition that stops the scientific um, process from moving forward. That's basically the new atheist claim, something like that. It wasn't so much all the nonsense that? about the deity as it was the murder. Right. It, was, <clears throat> it wasn't that people believed. It was that people were killed for heresy or whatever. Yep. It was the murder. When you'd say, hey, we're actually wrong about this, and this is the thing that's right, and I have proof, you'd just get, you'd get killed. The church would murder you. Right. And after that mostly ended during like what we call the enlightenment, most of the people making scientific and like sort of just kind of logical like discoveries were religious people. 
So like yeah. it, it doesn't even like what he's saying doesn't even make sense. Yeah. Um I I don't think well based on what he just said, I'm very positive that he has no idea how science works. Second. Do you believe in the transcendent if you're a scientist? And the answer is well, not only do you believe in it, you believe in it more than anything else because if you're a scientist, you believe in what objects to your theory more than you believe in your theory. Now, we got to think that through very carefully. So your theory describes the world, and as far as you're concerned, your description of the world is the world. But because you're a scientist, no. you think, well, even though that's my description of the world and that's what I believe, there's something beyond what I believe, and that's the object. And so I'm going to throw my theory against the object and see where it'll break. And then I'm going to use the evidence of the break as a source of new information to revitalize my theory. So as a scientist, you have to posit the existence of the ontological transcendent. What? Before you can move No, forward. you just have to posit the existence of the possibility that you could be wrong. Yeah, that was the literally the worst description of the scientific method that I've ever heard. Like it was worse than descriptions that were just wrong. Because that's like, it's a description that's like, if you understood that, it's because you already know what the scientific method is. Right. <laughs> but like the fact that you might be wrong or there might be something missing from your analysis doesn't mean that you believe in anything transcendent. In fact, most of the time when somebody, when, like, when some like understanding is shown to be incorrect it's by somebody else who also believes there's something like that they could be wrong too they've just found out that you know thing a was incorrect it looks like it's thing b but that person who came up with thing b is also like well i don't know though maybe somebody knows more about this than me and it could be thing c like that's I how think it works kind of what he's saying is like if you believe in objective reality you believe in something outside of yourself and it's like maybe like you can test objective reality and like the way it conforms to your test advises the theory that you have but like we 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 always just go back to like you could just be a brain in the jar and right. like no one no one can disprove that so like it's not useful oh but more you have to posit that contact with the ontological transcendent, annoying though it is because it upsets your apple cart, is exactly what will in fact set you free. So then you accept the proposition that there is a transcendent reality. No. And that... No, you just accept the proposition that reality is there whether I fucking like it or not, that the objective world is the objective world that the fucking earth is here and it's going to be here after I die. I'm going to be able to make observations about the world. Some of those are going to be right. Some of those are wrong. And we, we hope that we can be open-minded enough that when we're wrong about our observation, we go, Oh, it's this way, actually. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> like that's not transcendent. And also I accept those things because there is evidence for them, but that doesn't mean that I know them to be true. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You, it's one. Yeah, you go. Well, this the evidence seems to point in this direction is like a fairly mundane way to talk about something. 
I'd just love to hear like what this guy thinks about the integrated circuit. Do you know what I'm saying? Does he think that the integrated circuit works because people figured it out or because there's some transcendent shit going on inside of the integrated circuit? Like you just start thinking about major discoveries that have pushed technology forward. Right. And you start like, if you just like decide that they're transcendent and that some, then you're, then you're like the logical conclusion there is that the people who figured it out didn't actually figure it out. They just like, came across something transcendent and harnessed it. And that's insane. You see, Dave, the thing is, if you scrape a rock really thin, like really thin, then it manifests God. Gotcha. That contact with that transcendent reality is redemptive in the most fundamental sense, because if it wasn't, well, why would you bother making contact with it? You're going to make everything worse or better. Why does the uh, contact with the transcendent set you free as a scientist? Because you assume that, you assume, I mean, freedom in the most fundamental sense. It's like, well, freedom from want, freedom from disease, freedom from ignorance, right? That it informs you. So that's socialism of science. It is definitely that. Yeah, it's, it's it's the direction, let's say, the directionality of science. That's a narrative direction, not a scientific direction. And then the question is, what is the narrative? Well, it posits a transcendent reality. It posits that the transcendent reality is corrective. It posits that our knowledge structures should be regarded with humility. It posits that you should bow down in the face of, of the transcendent evidence. And you have to take a vow. You know this. But this word transcendent here is just like like filling in for basically anything that, that someone would want it to fill in for. Again, it's being used in a vague way so that his fans can be like, see, he believes what I believe. Yeah, there is a, a name for that fallacy, um, but I forget what it is, where you use a word in two different ways to to prove an argument. Just you have to take a vow to follow that path if you're going to be a real scientist. It's like the truth, no matter what, and that means you posit the truth as a redemptive force. Well, what does redemptive mean? Well, why bother with science? Well, so people don't starve, so people can move about more effectively, so life can be more abundant, right? So it's all ensconced within. Those aren't the goals of science, though. Those are goals that you can achieve through science, but the goals of science are to know how the world works. Right. That's the only goal. And, right, the application of science is oftentimes, we might say, engineering, right? And maybe those would be the goals of engineers, but also engineers yeah. have done things to make the world worse. People who work at Raytheon are engineers, and I don't think they're making the world a fucking better place or more abundant with all the missiles they build, right? So it's like... <laughs> yeah, like science doesn't have goals beyond to know how reality works. Uh, so whatever goals you have, you can use science to achieve those goals. Just like you said, some engineers might be, you know, civil engineers that want to do a good job and make people's lives better. Some might be engineering bioweapons or engineering, um, fantastical new guns that can kill a thousand people in, in one minute reason I, I was saying that while we were talking about belief in God, it's like, this is a very complicated topic, right? Do you believe in a transcendent reality? See, so okay, now let's say- Both done through science. the argument I just made on the natural front, you say, yeah, yeah, that's just nature. That's not God. 
And then I'd say, well, what makes you think you know what nature is? Like, see, the problem with that argument is that it, it already presumes a materialist, a reductionist materialist objective view of what constitutes nature. But if you're a scientist, you're going to think, well, in the final analysis, I don't know what nature is. I certainly don't know its origin or destination point. I don't know its teleology. I'm really ignorant about nature. And so when I say it's nothing but nature... Define really ignorant. It's nothing but what... Like, I, I would imagine most physicists have a much better understanding about nature than Jordan Peterson does. Well, also, nature is like a... Like, it's another weasel word that he's using. It's... He's using it to just mean whatever the fuck it needs to mean for the people that already believe the crap that comes out of his mouth, right? Like, if you're... Because we use nature in so many different ways. We could use it to mean like nature, like I'm out in nature. Uh, what is the nature of your argument? Well, that's different, right? Because you're using it in a different way. So the word is actually a pretty complicated word where the context, like what other words are around it, dictates what you mean when you say the word nature. So he's, he's like divorcing yeah. it from any context that would to be me, around it. I believe what he meant when he said nature just then, which was what I was talking about. Cause you're right. I didn't even notice he's using yet another weasel world weasel word. Uh, I think what he means because he was talking about like how it got here and like where it's going and all that. I think he's talking about the cosmos, like right. the universe itself. Right. And yeah, we're all fucking totally ignorant about that shit. We can only see so far into the fucking universe for fuck's sake. Yeah. We cannot see the beginning of the universe. Like as far back in time as we look, there is a point where the universe becomes opaque to us and we cannot see further back in time. Shit. If there's something big in the way, you can't see what's behind it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But like the cosmic microwave background radiation is the thing that's in the way of everything else. And that's pretty big. It's everywhere, so. <laughs> Nature to be. So I could say, will we have a fully reductionist account of cognitive processes? And the answer to that is yes, but by the time we do that, our understanding of matter will have transformed so much that what we think of as reductionist now won't look anything like yes. what we think of reductionism now. Matter isn't dead dust. I don't know what it is. Matter isn't no dead. Matter it's not alive either. Matters. There's a definition. That's a very weird definition. But wait a minute. The notion. I don't know what it is. I have no idea what it is. Matter is what matters. There's a definition. <laughs> no, That's it's a just well, a fucking. What about antimatter? Well, no, no. I don't. Neither of us know shit about antimatter. Um, the people who study antimatter would tell you they don't know shit about antimatter. <laughs> so, what well, I know, I know a little bit about antimatter, right? But we're not going to talk about antimatter because that's not <laughs> what's being discussed on the show. We're not going to, we're not going to go off in a discussion about antimatter. But he just said matter is what matters. And but what if you don't care about a banana? <laughs> is it no longer matter? Like I don't give a fuck about some banana at the store right now. It no longer is made of matter, right? Like there's like all kind of shit. Maybe that's antimatter. No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't like, I don't give a shit what's in the garage three doors down across the way, but it is definitely made of matter.
A banana worth of antimatter, by the way, would be enough to annihilate like an entire uh, county. Definition, but the notion that probably have, more. You know that if you're, I don't actually know materialist reductionist that you can reduce the complexity of what is to your assumptions about the nature of matter. Yeah. That's not a scientific your specific limited human assumptions of this century of this week. That so you in. In some sense, without God in this complicated, big definition. I think um, one of the things I noticed right there is Jordan Peterson was kind of talking about matter as if that's the only thing in the universe, that there's just matter and that's it. But that's not actually true. The universe is made of a lot of things. Only one of them or only one kind of them is matter and the part that's made of matter is a lot smaller than all of the other parts and i don't think jordan peterson knows that your assumptions about the nature of matter yeah. that's not a scientific your specific limited human assumptions of this century of this week that so in, that in in some sense without god in this complicated big definition we're talking about the there's no humility or it's there's less, not enough there's less likely to be or rather science can err in taking a trajectory away from humility well without something much more powerful than an uh, individual human yeah well then and we know you know the frankenstein story comes out of that instantly and <laughs> that's a good story for the current times it's like you you're playing around with making new life you bloody well better sh make sure you have your arrows pointed up what does that mean and it's interesting because what? you said science has um an ethic to it mm -hmm. i think it's embedded in an ethic well there's a you know science is a big word yeah and it includes a lot of wait frankenstein wasn't new life though it was just a bunch of body parts that were put together as like a combination of of things right it's like a mr like potato it was like a mr was, like a mr potato go ahead it was like a mr potato head yeah it it was like existing life that was repurposed tradition so biology chemistry uh genetics physics uh those are very different communities and i think biology especially when you get closer and closer to medicine i mean it's also just a story does have a very serious first of all it has a history with nazi germany of being abused and all those kinds of things uh not only biology galaxy brain the entire <clears throat> psychiatry uh rocketry uh everything everything in that fucking every scientific endeavor was used to push the interests of the third reich at some point during that that's how atrocities happen you dumb fuck has a history of taking this stuff seriously mm -hmm. what doesn't have a history of taking this stuff seriously is robotics and artificial intelligence which is really interesting because you don't uh you know you called me a scientist but mm -hmm. uh, and I, I would like to wear that label proudly but often people don't think of computer science as a science but nevertheless it will be i think the science of one of the computer major science is a science but most 
computer engineers are not computer scientists. Well, just not for nothing here. He's not a computer engineer. This guy's a computer scientist, and he is not unaccomplished in his field. Okay. Um, what we're watching here is him doing the thing that <clears throat> I try to keep us from doing and that I make fun of people for doing all the time, and it's what Jordan Peterson does. He's talking way outside of his area of expertise. If he had a podcast with other computer scientists and they were talking about, you know, even the ethics of machine learning and artificial intelligence, because he's in, he works with artificial intelligence, he would be in his lane mm -hmm. and it would probably be pretty interesting. And, uh, <clears throat> but he doesn't do that because this is far more lucrative and that's why mm -hmm. Lex can go fuck himself for a century and you should take that very seriously. Oftentimes when people build robots or AI systems, they think of them as uh, toys to tinker with. Oh, isn't this cool? Mm -hmm. Well, and that, I feel this too. Isn't this cool? It is cool. But you know, uh, at a certain moment you might, isn't this nuclear uh, explosion cool? Y yeah. Because it is. Or birth control pill cool. Whoa. Yikes. Oh, dude, wait a minute. <laughs> um, he just equated nuclear weapons and birth control. Holy shit. Oh, no. Well, here it comes. <laughs> uh, I saw someone mention in the chat that he was uh, holding back on his fascism. Here we go. <laughs> He's about to go full bore with his fascism. Or that was maybe he'll just kind of set that off to the side and just go on with some other fuck bullshit. Or or transistor cool, yeah. Well, the other thing too, and and this is a weird problem in some sense. The robotics engineer types, they're thing people, right? I mean, the big classes of interest are interest in things versus interest in people. Some of my best friends are thing people. Yeah, right. And at thing people are very very clear logical what the fuck thinkers. does thing people yeah, mean this is that shit that shit where men are interested in things and women are interested in people it's that's he's not he might not say it but that's this that's this this is the idea that the the google memo uh that's the foundational principle mm. of the google memo is that men are engineers and scientists and whatever because men are interested in things and women are I don't know. They like to gossip or whatever the fuck. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, that's not really what any of them are saying, but that's sort of like what it comes down to. And that's why women are in like the humanities. They're like more likely to be in HR than the engineering department or whatever. And it's, he's probably not going to go like there directly. But w when they talk about this, they act like this is almost like a binary, right? Where if you're a good engineer, you're not necessarily going to be great with people. And that's the case for some people. But I, a lot of the people I hang out with are like engineering types. You and Matt are engineering types. Um, my parents are both engineers and they're very good with people. They've always had a lot of friends. Like, I, I don't know. This is just isn't true. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the thing people aren't bad with, they're not also, they're probably also people, people. Lex was just saying like several of his friends are what he described as thing people. Maybe their like, skull is shaped weird and he thinks they're things. <laughs> Very outcome oriented and practical. Now, and that's all good. That makes the machinery and keeps it functioning. But there's a human side of the equation. And 
And you get the extreme thing people and you think, yeah, well, what about the human here? And when we're talking about, we've been talking about the necessity of having a technological enterprise embedded in an ethic, and you can ignore that, like most of the time, right? You can ignore the overall ethic in some sense when you're toying around with your toys. But when you're building an artificial intelligence, it's like, well, that's not a toy. That might be... A toy becomes the monster very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it not a toy? I mean, doesn't that depend on your definition of a toy? And, and what is your AI doing? Yeah. If your AI is just like making new art, it sounds like it's a toy. Right. In fact, there's a very famous one where if you punch in Jordan Peterson cleaning his room into it, it gives you a very, very, some very funny images. <laughs> sounds like a toy to me. Yeah. It's a neat toy, too. And we can learn does things he from mean, it. Does he mean like AI that has the same level of consciousness as a human being? Because yeah. like, we're nowhere even close to that. Yeah. He means like a... um. <clears throat> like a science fiction, uh, science fictionalized version of like a general AI. I think yeah, when he's we're not here. even close to that. And I feel like we have already talked a whole lot about that uh, as a society. And I feel like a lot of us have already decided that AI that's to that level of intelligence would have the same rights as humans right <clears throat> the thing is like the thing about this and the thing about like any discussion of ai is whoever has the ability to um stop giving it electricity can end it mm -hmm. so i'm not too terribly worried about it uh, but also i don't think in my lifetime we're going to see the kind of AI that he's talking about that would be maybe cause for concern. Right. I just don't, I'm yeah. not confident. I don't think so either. As, especially as we watch, as we watch sort of the leveling off the, the decrease in the increase of compute power over, you know, the course of each five years, like that Moore's law thing is dead, right? We're not doing that anymore. And so we're kind of, we're reaching a, we're reaching a limit with physics basically, because you, we can't, there's going to become a point where we can't make transistors smaller. And so, yeah. If, uh, so, but you could, you could solve that problem in other ways. So I don't think that, uh, computers will stop being more and more powerful every generation. Uh, and I don't think that the power that computers have every generation is going to like become drastically less year over year. Uh, you know, I think we're going to add on this roughly the same amount of power. Right. But we'll it's have just to do not going to be based on number of transistors. Right. We'll have to do it in a new way. And uh, there's a lot of uh, the quantum computing actually isn't, isn't going as quickly as uh, uh, people might imagine that it would have, you know, in like the nineties actually the, no. the problems involved there are more complicated quantum computing is really only good for like a very like a, a subset of problems problems that are much harder to solve with traditional computers uh, and traditional computers are much better at a number of things than quantum computers and maybe it's already here Lex is like I'm out of here 
<laughs> he just got up and walked yeah, away. And you notice how many of those things you can no longer turn off. And what is it with you engineers and your inability to put off switches on things now? Well, what? well, wait a minute. Everything has an off switch. And even if it doesn't, if it's like a electricity powered, you just cut the power to it. Like name one thing that doesn't have an off switch. This is weird. Uh, it's probably a <laughs> metaphor though. I have to hold this for five seconds for it to shut off or I can't figure it. I just, that's an off switch. Click off. Well, what is it with you humans? Why does he want, like, why does he want something that he can accidentally press and just immediately turn off his phone? You, you know what? Jordan Peterson's going to design a phone with a fucking light switch on the back. <laughs> that would be a worse product. Most people do not want that. I would say the vast majority of people do not want that. But all switches and other humans because there's a magic to the thing that you notice and it hurts uh, for both you and perhaps one day the thing itself to turn it off. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be very careful as an engineer adding off switches to things. Um, I think it's a feature, not a bug, the off switch. The off switch gives a deadline to us humans, to mm -hmm. systems of existence. It makes you, uh, it's, you know, death is the thing that really brings clarity to life. I mean, and people kind of have an off switch. You just have to hit it real hard. I do like your view of the flame with the bush mm -hmm. and perhaps the sword as a thing of transformation. Mm -hmm. It's also, it's a transformation that kind of consumes the thing in the process. Well, it depends on how much of the thing is chaff. You know, this what? is why you can't touch the Ark of the Covenant, for example. And this is why people can have very bad psychedelic trips. It's like if you're 95% dead wood and you get too close to the flame, yeah. the 5% that's left yeah. might not be able to make it. I think people have bad psychedelic trips for <clears throat> a couple of reasons. One, they take too much. The big reason. Two, they didn't know what to expect before going into the trip. And three, maybe they didn't have people around them who kind of know how to deal with someone starting to starting to get a little, little wonky with their, their drug experience. I think those are like primary. I think those are bigger reasons than this fucking crap that a shaman will tell you like, Oh, you shouldn't take acid if you're in like not in a super happy place and you'll get your demons and whatever. It's like, shut up shaman. That's what you're here for. <laughs> Does he mean, though, like near-death experience? No, he said a bad psychedelic experience. I'm just wondering if, like, he is calling a near-death experience something that no normal person would call it, because this is Jordan Peterson. I mean, I'm just going to go... Because, like, what? he was talking about if you're 95% gone, then the 5% no. left... Like, who fucking knows what he was trying to say? I mean, I know what he was trying to say. It's the same thing that those fucking shaman people will tell you about why you had a bad trip. It wasn't their fault for giving you too much acid or, like, not helping you when you needed help. It was because your demons, they're your own, and it's your fault, and they're coming out of you. That's what he's saying. Hmm. If you're 95% dead, what he kind of means the same thing that, that the dude who gives you too much acid. Well, you, you just haven't fucking, you haven't worked out your own problems. That's why. It wasn't because I gave you too much acid. It's not my fault. It's, that's okay. what he's saying, I think. Okay. It requires like very few assumptions. So you think it's all chat, but I think there is some aspect of destruction that is, that's, you know, the, the, the old Bukowski line of mm -hmm. uh, do what you love and let it kill you. Right. Don't you think it, th that destruction is part of. That's humility. 
That's humiliating. That's you bet. You bet. You bet. It's like inviting the joke. Sometimes the look on Lex's face seems to be giving away a few things. Like, watch this. Watch when he looks away. Watch. That's humiliating. That's you bet. You bet. You bet. It's like <laughs> inviting, the judgment. inviting the judgment because maybe you can die a little bit instead of dying completely. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think it's Alfred North Whitehead. We can let our ideas die instead of us, right? We can have these partial personalities that we can burn off. And we can let them go before they become tyrannical pharaohs and and we lose everything. And so, yeah, there's this optimal bite of death. And who knows? What, what the fuck is he talking about? Yeah, he's, he's, he, he went possible? off into the fucking, he went off into the nowhere land again, right? Oh, this optimal bite <laughs> of death. Like, what? What? <laughs> like, what does that mean? Yeah, this guy has, he has the worst way with words. He can use words i understand every single word that he's saying but when you put them together in that way it makes no fucking sense possible that if you died enough all the time that you could continue to live what? and the thing is we already know that biologically because if you don't die properly all the time well it's cancerous outgrowths and and he's talking about apoptosis between that's cell death. And that's a completely different thing than an organism dying. Life is a real balance between growth and death. Oh my God. And so what would happen if you got that balance right? Well, we kind of know, right? Because if you live your life properly, so to speak, and you're humble enough to let your stupidity die before it takes you out, you will live longer. That's just a fact. I don't know. I met some stupid people that are pretty old, Jordan. But then what's the ultimate extension of that? And the answer is we don't know. We have no idea. Well, let me ask you a, a difficult question because... As opposed to the easy ones that you've been asking so far. Well, uh, Dostoevsky is always just a warm-up. Um, so if death, if, if, if death every single day is the way to progress through life, you have become quite famous. Death and hell. Death and hell. Yeah, yeah, because you don't want to... I contend home. that not dying is the best way... To progress through life. Uh, do you worry that your fame traps you into the person that you were before? Yeah, well, Elvis makes, became an Elvis impersonator by the time he died. Yeah, what? do you fear that you have become a Jordan Peterson impersonator? That Do you fear of... In Is that true? That's not true, right? No. No. It just... It just... It's one of these things like... When, when like somebody who's good at something or somebody who had a quality you like about them or whatever is, you know, starts to change or starts to, maybe they get older and they lose their faculties or whatever. You're like, oh, you know, you're this and this, but you're not HK parent anymore because you know what I'm saying? Okay. That's sort of the idea, I guess. But Elvis was getting older and he drank a lot and he was getting unhealthy but he was not doing an Elvis impersonation. He was just doing his job. Taking gigs and shit. I was wondering if, if this was like some conspiracy theory that I didn't know about. Like Elvis was actually alive after he supposedly died and was, was an Elvis impersonator, but then he really did die. So now, I don't know. The famous suit wearing brilliant jordan peter this the certainty in the pursuit of truth hmm. 
always right. I think I worry about it more than anything else. I hope. I don't think Jordan Peterson has ever actually has pursued truth. Degree, when you look at yourself in the mirror, in the quiet of your mind, has it corrupted you? No doubt. He started his career in the spotlight by lying about a law. Yeah, yeah, that was <clears throat> like his, the origin event for him as like a celebrity. Absolutely. He wasn't unknown. Yeah. His YouTube videos were doing okay before then, but absolutely. He didn't become like mega famous until that happened. Very difficult thing to avoid, you know, because things change around you. People are much more likely to do what you ask, for example, right? And so that's a danger because one of the things that keeps you dying properly is that people push back against you optimally. This and then I block them on Twitter. Why so many celebrities smile. Okay, so now he's saying if you are not criticized, you won't experience apoptosis and you will grow cancer. Like your that's cells won't properly right. die and you'll grow cancer. Say run. Is that what he's saying? Or is he doing it again where he's just fucking using words however the fuck he wants, even though they're not consistent definitions? I mean, it's pretty fair to say he's using that as a metaphor for, for oneself as like a public figure. But like, that's not true. <laughs> okay. But that's what I think. Anyway, I don't think he literally is saying that you will, you know, apoptosis will stop because you're not being <laughs> criticized. I think he's using it as a metaphor and uh, his metaphor is just stupid. One around them stops saying, yeah, you're, you're, you're deviating a little bit there. They laugh at all their jokes. They open all their doors. They, they always want something from them. The red carpet's always ro rolled out. It's like, well, you think, wouldn't that be lovely? It's, well, not if the red carpet is rolled out to you while you're on your way to perdition. That's not a good deal. You just get there more efficiently. And so one of the things that I've tried to learn to manage is to get, have people around me all the time who are critics who are saying, yeah, I could have done that. Name three of them. Better and you're a little <laughs> too harsh there and you're alienating people unnecessarily there and you should have done some more background work there. And, and I think the responsibility attendant upon that increases as your influence increases. And that's, that's a, as your influence increases. I do find it interesting that the most block happy people on Twitter are the people who talk about how important it is to to deal with criticism. Yeah, absolutely. I've been nailing Peter Bogosian about that on his uh, YouTube channel lately. <laughs> and his fans are just like not having it. More on Peter Bogosian during the post game. So, you know, and then maybe have an off day. And well, one here's an example. I've been writing some columns lately about things that perturb me, like the forthcoming famine for example, and well, yeah, I don't like that idea either. Um, problems on what is that? Is he talking it's difficult to take those problems? Is he talking about an actual famine? Yeah. What does he mean? Yeah, uh, he's uh, he's probably just ta he's talking about an actual famine. He thinks that the, there's going to be a disruption in the food supply. I think there will be too, but we probably think so for different reasons. I think it's going to be climate change that's going to really disrupt the food mm. supply. He probably thinks it's like wokeness and farmers, like, I don't know, being too many lesbians or whatever the fuck, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Serious matter, and it's frightening. And it would be easier just to go up to the cottage with my wife and go out on the lake and watch the sunset. 
I believe so I recall him saying that he did not believe in climate change. That's correct. On so, yeah. Anger as a motivating energy to help me overcome the resistance to doing this. But then that makes me more harsh and judgmental in my tone when I'm reading such things, for example, on YouTube, than might be optimal. Now, Sir, you watch things on YouTube. I've had debates about with people about <laughs> that because I have friends who say, no, if you're calling out the environmental environmentalist globalists who are harassing the Dutch farmers, then a little anger is just the ticket. Maybe he learned to speak say, well, by you know, reading the uh, because you the automatically generated it's like captions on YouTube. Balance to get right. But also maybe anger hardens your mind to where you don't notice the, the subtle, quiet beauty of the world. The quiet love that's always there. Oh, shut up. Everything. <laughs> Just shut the fuck up. About the world if it's the Nietzsche thing. Yeah. This is as good a place as any to end the podcast. I'm sorry, everybody. Real quick. He was he at the, before before the end there. I just want to kind of uh, respond to what he said about <clears throat> the globalist environmental types who don't like the Dutch farmers. <clears throat> I looked into this thing about the Dutch farmers and I can't figure out what the fuck everybody's talking about. There are a few Dutch farmers who are mad about some policy. That's fine. It happens all the time. People in different industries are mad about policy. Uh, it's natural if you're an industry to be mad about policy that makes it harder for you to do your industry. That's what I think is going on with the Dutch farmers. It has nothing to do with globalism, and globalism is a bit of a dog whistle. And uh, yeah, I don't think he's looked very deeply into the matter. He just knows that people seem to be angry at uh, the same people he doesn't like. And so he's like kind of jumped on that as a, a thing for himself. But I don't think he's looked very deeply into the matter. And that shit at the end. Where Lex is like, oh, it stops you from seeing the love. It's like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Just stop that shit. That's the thing about Lex and the Guru's pod guys did a really good episode about Lex where they kind of talked about how he leans into this sort of like optimism and they think that he's naive. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, I don't think he's a dummy. I think that he knows that like an audience like Jordan Peterson's would prefer him to instead of like challenging Jordan on like things like climate change to just go into some vague kind of platitude about love and like, like happiness because that's <laughs> better for his pocket. And he scoops up more of Jordan Peterson's fan base. If he does that versus actually challenging Jordan on climate change, because I do not believe that this Lex guy is a climate change denier. And that's the show. I'm going to read us out this time. Everybody, thanks for right. listening to the Intellectual Dollar Tree. You can grab this on your favorite podcatcher, maybe where you're listening to it right now. Make sure you're following it. Get it on our website, echoplexmedia.com. And if you're hella fancy, there's an RSS link on echoplexmedia.com. We have a new swag shop. Go to echoplexmedia.com slash swag. For a limited time, we have the Jordan Peterson Big Pharma shirt, which is very funny because that would just be his nickname. If I met him, I'd be like, what's up, Big Pharma? <laughs> and that's the show live listeners stay tuned we're going to go into red light i'm going to change the contents of my beverage we're going to change the color in our room and we're probably going to do some peter bogosian and um i have some other things on the uh after show docket this week i actually did a little bit of pre-work as is oh and i'm gonna turn the chat back on too as is always the case at the end of this show this is a song by periscope it's called boomers and uh we will be back with the post game
If you like what we're doing at Echoplex and aren't into Twitch, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Echoplex. For $5, you can get every show from beginning to end sent to you as an MP3. Even the stuff we bleep out because it's too spicy for Twitch. Echoplex would not be where we are today if it wasn't for the community support we receive. Find out all the ways you can support the show at echoplexmedia.com slash support.